0: The Damaged Goods Podcast.
1: God, God, got got a rap of everywhere.
2: Vinyl Villain. This is great, dude. You know what? I was thinking about this notion earlier because um, I was talking to a friend of mine who works in music and entertainment with me and he just made some new merch for his shit. And I've made merch when I used to be a recording artist and stuff like that and I never really wore my own merch. Ah. Uh-huh. And- Oh, see, you're wearing the vinyl Villain beanie. And I was like, is yep. it cool? Is it all right? And apparently, in, in, in your realm, it's all good. It's all good to rock the Joe. Yeah, man.
1: I mean, who, you know, I got I got the the OG hoodie right here, too. I've seen that I mean? one, too. It's a dope logo. It's a dope that's logo. That's the thing, you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's very recognizable, and everywhere I go, that's, you know what I mean? People are like, oh, I really like that, you know what I mean? And it kind of gives an open to, like, oh, you know what I mean, like, introduce myself as you know what i mean the character you know
2: oh, like it well it actually happens to be me
1: so you don't have a yeah. problem like wearing your own shit nah not at all man nah i think like i mean i was doing it before you know west side gun and all those those cats you know what i mean but like you look at people like that like they wear their mer- their own merch like and if you think How to about the brand.
2: Yeah, People who are just regular clothing line designers, not like a, a musician with his merch, but a person who designs a clothing brand, they're gonna wear that, and that's their baby too. I guess, you know what, it's not as bad as the person wearing the shirt of the band that they're going to see. You know, like if, if there was a Vinyl Villain concert and a guy came with a Vinyl Villain shirt, I'm sure actually you would love it, but the other yeah. Vinyl Villain fans in the crowd would be like, this fucking guy with a Vinyl Villain shirt, we're here at his show, you know?
1: Yeah, yeah. Nah, I mean, yeah, I, I I wear it everywhere. Like I said, it's a very, I mean, it's a very recognizable character. You yeah, know what I mean? I have so a, it's just open.
2: one of your stickers. You gave me some stickers when you were on uh, on our Mean Beans' Rain and Rail show on Dash Radio, and I have one of them on my surf bin. I have like a bin I keep my wetsuits and all that shit and just cover yeah, yeah. Covers, and I have one of yours on there too, man.
1: Yeah man, it's it's you know, got to push the brand. That's that's the biggest thing for me. Like it's it's all about branding. Like at the end of the day, yeah, I'm producer, musician, artist, whatever you want to call it nowadays, but at the end of the day, it's just uh, you know, what I mean, I want people to buy into the brand even if you don't let cuz cuz I could sell merch to people that don't listen to the music.
2: Yeah, you know, I really learned the value. Well, I I knew the value of merch. I used to sell merch and shit like that, but when I was working for uh, Slayer, like the heavy metal band, um, I really learned the value of merch because, I mean, these guys, their merch game was insane. And talking about that joke of people wearing the band shirt to go to see- shows, yeah. I always thought it was so fucking a silly corny idea because they make fun of it in movies. Started working for Slayer and they're selling out these big places with arenas, clubs, stadiums, whatever. And everybody's wearing fucking Slayer shirts and they're coming to buy more and it was the first yeah. time i'd ever seen like an overwhelming majority of the crowd wearing the band shirts at the show but their their merch is so sought after and they do all these different unique things that the fans are such fans of the merch dude they would make so much money in merch every night like i, I don't even want to say the numbers out loud but it would be mind blowing how much they would yeah, make i would say
1: I, I think that's like i think a lot of places a lot of bands artists you know the the number one moneymaker was always tour and then because of that you could sell merch on tour so you know i mean artists make more i think now off of merchandise than any other aspect of music
2: you gotta have cool merch too i mean a lot of artists i'm sure just sell shirts and posters and shit because someone's a true fan but then Mm -hmm. some artists have managed to have merch created that's like so cool you'd wear it regardless if you're just a super fan if you're a mediocre fan or even people that you know there's the cases of people who don't even listen to the misfits but have a misfit, sure and exactly. that's a powerful thing to have in your repertoire as an artist because it's a revenue stream that's pretty fucking important um yeah yeah yeah, yeah. that uh that diversified business mind that you're hearing or seeing on damaged goods this week is a uh, is a young man who's a a real i don't know he's kind of an ill popping hip-hop producer man not even kind of he is he's a he's a producer an artist and i had the pleasure of meeting him in person on um rain and rail which is dj beans in my show on dash radio he came up and then you're actually kind of from the same place i'm from in boston which made it kind of i I picture you to be about 10 years my junior so maybe you're not but i was like yeah this guy's a different generation but he's doing it with all these ill artists and i didn't even know that some of the shit I was listening to from these artists was produced by you,
0: you know?
1: Yeah, that's a good feeling, man.
2: (laughs) What, uh, I mean, I could tell them, but uh, who are some of the artists that you've been working with and producing for for the last few years?
1: I mean, I think it all started really like, I mean, I've been producing for a long time, you know what I mean? Making beats, we'll say. Um, And then... I think it really started to hit a trajectory with, uh, I dropped a project called New Crack Era with Ito. Yeah. Um, big project. Maybe about two years ago. Yeah, now, nah, I think it was like two Christmases ago. And uh, after that, it just kind of took off. You know, I've, I've worked with Ito, Uncle John, um, St. Knack, Al Divino. Uh, shit, I got, I'm working right now you know, uh Lord Juco, Primo Prophet, A Sun Eastwood, Daniel Sun, like the whole everybody that anybody really, not to sound like uh, you know, cocky or arrogant, but anybody that's really doing their doing the shit right now in underground hip hop, I'm I've worked with.
2: And did you do some shit with Crime Apple too?
1: Yeah, yeah. Me and Crime. Um again, this was really early on, um, did a single. Um just a cassette single. And yeah, 30 cassettes sold out in less than a half hour. Last I checked, they were like reset, one of them was reselling on Discogs for like $200 or something like that.
2: Yeah, the the limited amount merch uh, approach a lot of, uh, especially a lot of underground hip hop artists took, I thought was such a genius way to do it. Like you didn't have to beat yourself up with a huge overhead of producing so many, but uh, an an item like a cassette tape, a cassette single even, or those specialized vinyls, you make a limited amount, and yeah, you do charge more than a regular piece of vinyl might cost, but if you're a real big fan of this person, and if if you can tell the artists put a lot into the project musically, but also the the, the visual component, the physical component, then you wanna get it, and there's only you know 100, 200, 50, whatever it is, and it's 40, $50, where a regular piece of vinyl or a cassette might be 20 or 10, people are copying it, and there's a lot more revenue to be brought in for the artist, and it's earned, I think in a pretty fair way, uh, you know, you're giving the, the fan, the consumer some real shit and not just paying a lot for music, you know?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And the, I didn't even, I honestly wasn't even sure what to do with it. Like we had the single and I didn't want to just drop it digitally, you know what I mean? On, on DSPs and just let it be out there. You so know, there so I, like, what, what, yeah, exactly. You know, n- forgotten about the next day. <laughs> so I was like, what can, you know, what can be done, and I think uh, it was actually my homie Glass, John Glass, who was who was John Glass. with us, yeah, he, uh, he was like, what about, like, a single, like, a cassette single, and I was like, that's fucking genius, man, like, because I remember, like, going to Sam Goody back in the day, or <laughs> Strawberry Music, and that was like, that, that you bought your singles on cassette, you know what I mean, it had the uh, the dirty, the clean, and maybe like an instrumental. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. So that's what we did. We did the 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 k- single.
2: The k- single. I was about to ask you, Vinyl Villain, Mister Villain. Uh, I'm calling you. You know what's funny, dude? I don't even. And I think this goes both ways. I know your name to be Vinyl Villain, Mister Villain. I don't know your actual uh it, name, I'm just, I'm a villain. name. Yeah, and it's it's in hip hop. It's not cool to like share your government name. <laughs> and you know, when, even when artists do go by it, it almost seems corny that they use their real name. Like it is actually, yeah. like go with a fake name. But like, my name is Jake the Snake, which was my nickname as a childhood kid, cause it rhymed. And going- You were, to fan you were a fan of Jake the Snake, course, the of wrestler? Of course. And when I started making music, I just used my nickname and then Jake the Snake makes J the S, which is short and all this shit. But also for me, nobody could pronounce my last name. Growing up as a kid, literally, coaches, teachers, fucking other kids, no one can read it, spell it. So instead of just getting it butchered all the time, I keep going by it. Even when I'm like, now I'm not making music, but I'm broadcasting this and that. When I made my book, though, I gave my, I put my government name on because it was so personal. Going yeah. forward, I want to push the government name a little bit, but damn, ain't nobody pronounce it right. So you might, Mr. Villain, maybe you're like, unless Mama Villain. Her name is Valan or some shit with an apostrophe. You maybe you have a crazy name too. We won't, I don't know. We're no, it, know. actually, matter of fact, I mean it's not crazy. Gonna, it's Jared, actually are you gonna, are you gonna drop, are you gonna drop a bombshell on damaged goods and share your fucking government name? It's
1: not well, it's not like it's not a crazy name. It's tell me, share. I I I hated well, and I don't want to say I hated it, but I you know, what I mean, growing up similar situation, like nobody could pronounce it. It was always And it became a very popular name. Let me
2: warn you, though, warn you. If you tell me your last name or name right now, and actually I find it to be very easy to pronounce, I'm going to feel hurt. (laughs) Oh
1: no, the last name, not so much. But the first name, it it was different at the time. So, um, yeah, my name is Aiden.
2: Aiden, okay.
1: Yeah. It's so but growing up, you know what I mean? I, it was just, you know, nobody could pronounce it. It was, it was, I was like the first one.
2: A I D A N?
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah, because you don't look like an Aiden. You look like a Leo, like a, like, or like, a, like, I don't know, like a rock. I got Vinny,
1: Vinny one. You know, 7, you know, Seven L from, uh, yeah. So, yeah, George, yeah. So here we are throwing governments out like it's nothing.
2: <laughs> and you know like, what? Yeah. Funny dude, the modern technology I can find your fucking government name
1: out. True, true. So I was um, he's got a record store in Somerville, uh, called Vinyl Index. So that's now where I get all my records, and um, I think same deal. He he had no idea what my name was, and one day, he was talking to Loman, Billy Loman, who's I thought that was his real name. name. Shout out Billy Loman. I thought that was his real name too since we're on this subject that's but not fake his real, name. real
2: name that yeah. me too the fake real names actually i've had to use so, non musical purposes so again
1: but uh but yeah george was like he was like oh your your, your boy vinny came in and he was like vinny he's <laughs> like yeah the villain the vinyl villain vinny ah. and he's like that he was like what the fuck did you get he's like that's not his name he's like oh he looks like
2: a vinny you do <laughs> well, are you gonna are you gonna complete the cipher and share your last name, or is that too crazy? Oh, nah, come on, yeah, there's not, no need. There's no need. Yeah, because I would have taken you way more for a Vinny than an Aiden. <laughs> like, you know, I don't know, you, but hey, man, you, it's the beard now. It's the beard. beard. <laughs> you know, depending on where you grow up, a name like Aiden might not have been. um so commonplace in massachusetts certain things like that so i get it well it
1: became popular like a couple years ago it was like the number one name like boy's name oh shit when I, I, was, I was growing like, up it was not.
2: like my name my first name growing up either in, in elementary school i would write like fake names on like my homework usually from like a movie i just saw like marty mcfly or some shit like that <laughs> be like who is like whatever and like I, I grow to like Jake now, but when I was little, for some reason I didn't. I don't know why, but it's not a bad name.
1: Must be a that must be a, a New England thing.
2: Yeah, some some shit, man. <laughs> um, but yeah, dude, you got you, you you look like you're in a snug, comfortable environment. If you guys are listening, listen with your eyeballs and picture Vinyl Villain inside a, a little studio type room. He's got a, like a like a crew neck sweatshirt on and a, and a scully. He looks comfortable, he's got the beard cause it's cold in the East Coast right now, A rainy, snowy, shit.
1: Yeah, the weather is shit today, man.
2: So, I always really enjoyed making music cause you're inside, you're in a studio, uh, on days where it wasn't nice out, or if it was, I didn't want windows in the studio, which is fucked up cause I love sunlight, I'm in the sun all day, but when I would make music, I didn't want sun like bright. It could be gloomy outside, but I would need to put a curtain down. And I imagine even more so for a producer, you want to feel like you're even more in the back cave, even more like inside. Oh, yeah, yeah,
1: definitely. The way the window's not open. Like, I mean, I got a light on now because you know, we're doing yes, this. You,
2: you need you know? a little light, yeah.
1: But yeah, for the most part, yeah. I mean, I've never most most studio sessions, yeah. I mean, they you gotta create a vibe. Yeah.
2: I mean? That's I've always um, really enjoyed like the ambiance of certain recording situations. I would I would tend to go to studios where yeah like I gotta be cool with the engineer. We gotta have a vibe, um, and it's gotta be good you know good place, reasonable, close, whatever. But I have to feel comfortable in there. And there's <clears throat> excuse me, there was even studios that were top notch, high quality, really good, and engineers I fuck with would use them and shit. But it felt so. Stale or, or, or like sterile almost, like a corporate. doctor's office. And I don't want it to smell like cigarette butts and the like cobwebs, like the basement you imagine Rizza did 36 chambers in. But yeah, I want some some kind of ambiance, some kind of vibe, you know. Getting, yeah, yeah, definitely. I don't want it to feel like a doctor's office, you know.
1: Yeah, I can't touch anything in here, you know what I mean? Like, I
2: me here, so she, you know,
1: there's got to be, yeah. D- dusty dusty record crates on the floor talking, you know, like
2: hardwood i like hardwood kind of like studios that i don't know this is me and you doing the age battle again i don't know if you were old enough to know about um fuck now i'm blanking on the studio it was right above little stevie's and looney tunes um in boston on, on Street. Cyber Sound. no no not Cyber Sound. um that was on on newberry it was on boston right right above little stevie's fucking Jesus Christ. My man, Matty Harris used to work in there. Tons of famous shit was the vinyl. Yeah, that's Sound. No, bro. Cybersound is the one. On Sound was on, on Boylston. No, Sound was on Newberry Street. The one that is upstairs above Little Stevie's. It was called, if it ends up being Cybersound, I'm gonna be so mad. <laughs> I'm supposed to bet my testicles that Cybersound is the one on Newberry that's actually very sterile, like what I was describing Yeah, yeah. there. I'd have to go, me and my boys would go into the stairwell to smoke weed, come back in there. And it was like the best studio. Like technically it was so sick, but I just, I hated the way the booth was so disconnected from the control room. The place yeah. I'm talking about had like multiple rooms upstairs with like a lot of hardwood though, some big, Big performance room, some small booths. Uh fuck, man. The dude, Joe Mansfield, who, who kind of started Landspeed Records, he did vinyl reanimators. He was big back before my time. I think he had a stake in it, and I'm blanking on it, dude. Anyway, but it was a grimy studio, my point.
1: Yeah, yeah. Nah, that's where you gotta be. That's where you gotta be.
2: Yeah, when you, be in that it's like the, the year 2020 and technology allows you to do music, from everywhere and I know you're working with a lot of east coast dudes you got Ito up in Rochester Crime Apples in Jersey you got dudes from Boston Uncle John's from like Virginia or something DC. Or DC DMV area you got dudes in the east coast you're working a lot with do you still get to work in the studio with them or is, is a lot of it and there's no I'm not judging it is a lot of it remote and shit like that just cause that's the way it is
1: now. Well, with with 2020 being the fucked up year that it is. Aside from that, my fault. Shit shit has, you know what I mean, taken a back seat, but I'm I'm definitely one of those producers that that doesn't mind traveling and would definitely prefer to be in the lab with the artist, you know, working together. even if we can't work on like this, a song or the whole project together, like
2: I'm taking
1: a flight, I'm taking a bus, whatever, you know what I mean? Just to build with artists. Um, you to get this that vibe connection, right? Exactly. Cause first of all, email is trash. Yeah. Um, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and sending stuff out and waiting for, you know, three, four, five, six months to, to, to get a verse or something back is, is it's just atrocious. Yeah. Um. So, 2020, I've kind of had to deal with it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But you know, like the Uncle John project that I did, I actually, I first saw him in at a show in New Jersey um, years ago. It was like one of the first underground, like new underground hip hop shows. It was Daniel Sun? Cry- anybody who's anybody was there. Daniel Sun, Crime Apple. Camel Monk, Pounds, Uncle John, go Side Gold. What
2: city or town?
1: Uh, fuck.
2: Was it like, I'm just wondering if it was like closer to New York or was it like the Jersey to town? No, oh yeah, yeah, it was
1: right there. It was, it was, uh, Union. I don't, city. I don't, I don't think it was Hoboken, yeah,
0: but it was like right around
1: country. that area. You know what I mean? Yeah, it wasn't far from, from the city at all. Um. But that was like the first like big show with all these new underground cats. Yeah. And um, that was the first time I met Uncle John. I didn't even meet him actually that night. I just saw him perform. And you liked it. You dug it. He did a, he did a song with Crime Apple and the way that he, first his voice on the mic and just the way that he like commanded the audience. I was like, I got to work with this dude. Uh. So I went home, did some research, you know, bought some CDs, bought, you know, listened to his music. And um, that's just kind of connected cool. with them through social media.
2: You did your home, fast home. forward? Kind of cool. Oh yeah, hell yeah. I love
1: because well, I, I, I liked them. You know what I mean? I was like, this, this is this is somebody that I want to work with. So I went, you know, went home, did some research, connected with them on social media, and then like fast forward, you know, maybe a year later, there was a show in Philly at Slime Beach, which was Sadu Gold's studio was in like a, you would have loved it it was in like a big abandoned building oh, it's right up behind my me as possible you know what I mean it, it was I like it the was, bathrooms to be nice
2: though that's really
1: oh no yeah you wouldn't have liked this <laughs> you knew you you knew where you were when you went in the bathroom but um then so I, I you know him being in DC I was like yo are you going to the show oh. we should link up because it was they're right there you that's know what it. I mean two hours so We ended up meeting for the first time, actually, at that show in Philly, and then um, took a bus to New York to link with Sauce Heist the next
2: day. Both of you did.
1: Yeah, yeah. So we got, you know what I mean? So like that whole weekend, it was really like, you know, we got to connect and build. And then that formula, you know, that turned into, you know, the relationship that allowed us to work on that project, which, in my opinion, is one of my... You know, one of my best bodies of work and one of my favorite projects that I've done. Uncle John's one of my favorite rappers,
2: Hell yeah. if not
1: my favorite rapper.
2: Tell real quick, tell everybody where they can get that project or anything you're part of. Just you know, plug
1: uh, everything is on my Bandcamp. I mean, I'm I'm not one of those artists or producers either that's like anti digital streaming platforms. Like all my shit is everywhere. You can get my music on on Bandcamp, therealvinylvillain.bandcamp.com. Um, if you just search "Vinyl Villain" on iTunes, Spotify, Tidal, fucking whatever you use, I'm everywhere, man. Yeah. Do your googles.
2: You know, it's like uh, when it comes to like the you know the the, the streaming versus other uh, other forms of platforms of listening to. It's a it's a tricky situation, and even just doing like podcasts and shit like that, it doesn't affect me like the the music way. But when I was still making music, you know, streaming was just becoming more. I mean, yes, they had like iTunes and shit. I was selling albums there. And I, you know, drifted away from the physicals. It was, you know, selling, but like uh, you know, SoundCloud and, and Spotify and shit, I was using those at the same time and getting in Bandcamp too, but getting away from the sales aspect of of, of just full albums and you know, people streaming your shit. And then you know, you, I know. Like you know, like a lot of people know that, especially Spotify. A lot of the streaming sites, they don't. You don't. An artist doesn't get as much, right? And then if it's a big artist, that's a pretty famous person, people will say, "Well, they got enough money. I'm just going to stream." When when it comes to more indie artists of any genre, indie rock, I see the shit. I have a lot of friends who do indie rock. Just like a lot of the indie and underground hip hop people I'm I'm into and that I know, uh, the, you know, they, they do the streaming thing they try to drive some traffic to, to their places of purchase. Like we were going back to the cassette singles and the vinyl because it actually does benefit, you know, the indie underground artists a little more because they tend to be in a, in a situation with whoever put the record out. I mean, shit, they might've put it out themselves. So they're gonna get everything or a little more fair of a split. It's not like Universal or Sony or whoever's taking a big chunk. So it does really benefit somebody like yourself for someone to come to your band camp or whatever. And you see people more willing to support somebody like you versus I'm not shitting on like Pharrell or somebody, but you know, somebody who's probably not going to be hurting if you stream your album. Yeah. And yeah. Recently in just like the last four or five days, I've seen Bob Dylan, granted we're going out into the genre uh, dude for one of the dudes from Crosby, Stills and Nash and Lil Wayne all selling all their um, masters, which especially wow. in hip hop, that was the whole thing. It's like own your own your masters. And I think Little Wayne just sold them for a hundred mil. But shit. he also just pled guilty to a gun charge. And the reason that Bob Dylan and the other the Crosby Stills Nash dude did or what they said was because they can't perform right now. There's no touring. And that destroyed their money. And streaming, they don't get jack shit. So yeah. you might be like, don't sell your shit for 50 million, but also 50 million is a lot. Granted, there's percentages there, it might be better for them to sell all their masters than to not with the touring thing and all that. Um, yeah. and it's just weird. The streaming issue, man, it's like, I, I see so many artists posting Spotify wrap ups. And then I see another artist with a critique, like, why are you posting the Spotify wrap up? We get five cents off it. And I, I feel like both are valid. And I kind of liked your answer because you said I sell all my shit. I, I do this, but I'm not against the the, the digital platforms of streaming.
1: Nah. So, my thing, and I've I've had this conversation multiple times with several different people. Like, <clears throat> you know, I'm I'm very vocal social media. Like, I don't hold any, I, I don't hold my tongue. I
2: love
1: it. <clears throat> but my thought process behind the whole situation is like, there. Not everybody is hip to to Bandcamp, or yeah. to you know, not everybody is is gonna go to your website and. Has a PayPal account that or Venmo account that they can purchase music off your website, and you know what I mean. So everybody has a fucking iPhone. Yeah. You know what I mean. Everybody has uh, this in their pocket: an iPhone and Android. So everybody has access to iTunes, Spotify, yeah. whatever. You know, your 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 phone comes with iTunes on it. You know what I mean? Apple Music, like on. I mean, it should come free. That's a whole nother thing, but so I want like I want anybody to be able to listen to my music. I I do understand the um the artists that are like you know my shit's art, and you know you gotta pay for the the higher price because it's art. I get that, but not by not putting it on streaming. It's kind of like you're leaving money on the table. You know what I mean. Granted, it might not be a lot of money, but it's still money on the table and I'm not well off enough to leave money anywhere. <laughs> you know what I mean? No,
2: totally. I mean, what I think about when I'm in that situation is it's not even that I'm leaving money on the table, but is it like, am I depriving some people of seeing, hearing, reading, touching my art? Or am, am I limiting my audience? Like with with uh, with my book that I put out and I'm writing another one, I faced a similar issue that I didn't really know about, but in my publishing contract, uh, I get less royalties when my books are sold through Amazon. And my publisher explained to me because, because Amazon can ship to anywhere in the world, like the next day and all this shit, they take more from the distributor. And my royalty rate is actually out of anywhere you could buy my book, whether it's online and all these bookstores, in a bookstore itself or Kindle, ebook, my royalty rate is the least when it's on Amazon. 90 something percent of my books are sold on Amazon and I can promote the other places and shit but If you have Amazon you already have your credit card information in there. You got it all ready to go You can just buy it easy And they already know your address if I was to say hey buy from which I have been doing It's like buy from this website or this place. I it benefits me more. Oh gosh now and I hate doing this as a consumer too got to put in my credit card info, got to put in my address, got to go to this whole new thing. Maybe I just don't want to do it that bad and like don't buy it. So am I going to lose sales? Maybe it's less money in my pocket, but less people reading my book, liking my shit. Am I going to yeah. lose my exposure, my music, or is it better for more people to hear my shit or read my shit so that the next project, or I get a little more leverage, I can eventually get to a place where I can control this distribution and where it's consumed and make more money, but I have a bigger audience, so I have more power. You know, that's like an issue I think about a lot.
1: Nah, that's I agree a hundred percent, man. That's that's exactly my thought process is like I want I want my music to get out to as many people as possible. And if if uh you know I know that you know a 45, 50, 55 year old person is not gonna go to my band camp to purchase anything they're gonna they're not gonna know how to figure that out even one of my best friends from high school same age as me was a couple years old to 35 36 years old this kid don't have facebook don't have instagram twitter
2: this kid (laughs)
1: nothing nothing he's anti-social media all of that already but he and and he's still and he's i don't want to say stuck in the 90s because that has such like a bad connotation but like as far as music goes like He listened to Wu-Tang, old Wu-Tang, old Nas, Mad Lib, Quasimodo, like all that shit that that was old, you know what I mean? Not familiar with any new artists. So (laughs) I'm going to tell this kid, I'm going to explain to him how to use Bandcamp. Get the fuck out of here. You're crazy. I told him, download Spotify. It's free. You can create an account. It's free. And then just type in these names and you're good sometimes that's even what? that's cool
2: question, though you know some people now he's
1: familiar with Danielson, son rome streets ito you know what i mean like he streams my music now like before that like he he wasn't even doing that and that's my homie you know what i mean but like i can't expect this kid who doesn't have a facebook account to go to Bandcamp <laughs> and create a fucking band
2: camp account Dude, I, bro I, I have friends like look, like even a little older than me who like you know they, they maybe they went to prison for Quite a long time, and they come out, and uh, not only are they still stuck musically, it's changed, they're like, man. They're like, Yo, dog, can you burn me a CD of all this new shit. I was like, Bro, I don't even have the cable. Bro, these new computers now, don't
1: even have a CD like, drive.
2: I don't even have a CD player in my car. Like, I can, like, Yo, just get on the spot. Our SoundCloud's free. And they're like, You know what? I'm like, Yo, trust me, this is a cheaper way. they like, I can't burn you the CD. Like, fuck, I don't even, I used to burn CDs. I love that. I love making mixtapes. I can't even yeah. do that. And uh, and they're stuck in the musical time period, but also sometimes the, the technological one takes a little while. And even when they come around to the technological one, still like culturally, they still are back in in a different time period. And I, sometimes I like admire it, but I know I I wouldn't want to be totally stuck there because nah. I feel like it would be an uphill battle on the daily. You know, just living life like like you're going against the grain too much. And I already do go against the grain. So. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. Nah, man, I'm 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 all for. Wherever you can listen to my music, listen to it. Oh, yeah.
2: man. no, I, I dig it, man. Like it's uh, it sucks because I try to buy certain artists music that I really, really, really fuck with. And then sometimes I'm just going to keep it real. I'm lazy because I'll stream shit. Now I buy vinyl. I buy records. You know, uh, I buy like hip hop shit, but I also buy tons. Of, of old shit old soul classic rock old reggae jazz I'm a big jazz head and then I inherit records from family members and friends so I like listening to vinyl um uh, but you know like I can go and buy oh what you got for me right there oh dude a little Sunrise Sunrise you know what man I think anybody especially if you're in hip-hop you should listen to some Sunrise you should also watch Sunrise Space is the Place because there's so much uh vinyl villains like got a great smile on his face he knows (laughs) there's a lot of audio clips from space is the place that have been used in hip-hop albums and it's like it's like a magical this dude's kind of like 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 the way George Clinton and Pete Funk was so like out of this world extraterrestrial about some shit I feel like Sun Ra was on that but on a whole more spiritual different level um but my point is like I buy vinyl a lot uh, and I'll, I'll try to buy digital albums of some dudes. I really fuck with like, like I bought the, like, the last rock Marcy or certain shit, but sometimes it's like, fuck man. I'll, I I end up buying it. just streaming it. And if I like it, I'll buy it. And sometimes I still stream it. I feel like a dick, you know, like, you know, um,
1: I, I, you know, as an artist, I don't, I, I don't, I don't like, there's no slight towards that. You know what I mean? Like I don't take offense to it or anything like that. Like, like I said, like, as long as you're listening to the music, I don't give a fuck where you're listening to it. You know what I mean? Even if it's if you're streaming it for free on YouTube. You know what I mean? Like
2: I hate listening to music on YouTube, though, because I hate when people... Oh, it sucks. It's yeah, it's the worst.
1: And, pay for yeah. Spotify.
2: Bite the bullet. Pay for the Spotify. Save $10 a, a month on your snacks and food. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Pandora, <laughs> I don't want to hit a damn commercial. It's not 2011. Bitch, get that.
1: Pandora. Nah, I don't even know anybody that still listens to Pandora. Girl,
2: when I first moved to L.A., I, I was... Uh, associating, fornicating with this young lady, younger than me, mind you, I'm 38 now. So this is when I'm like 33. And she's probably five years my junior. So she's young, she's like real hit, you know. And we'll be at her crib or whatever, we're doing our thing, you know, in this music, you're in the vibe, we're enjoying a sensual moment and then, Commercial breaks. I'm like, what? <laughs> oh, that's the Pandora. I was like, the Panda, what up? I was like, bitch, At least fuck with some SoundCloud. I know you, your <laughs> own no, no, image SoundCloud, at least for the love of Christ. Like, let me give you my Spotify account. We don't, we ain't even close. I'm not even sharing a Netflix account with you, but I will let you use this like yeah. commercial interruptions. And with the YouTube <laughs> shit, it's like the commercial interruptions, I can't. Oh, I it's crazy. Uh, TV, I don't. I haven't had cable in like 12, 13 years, maybe. I hate commercials, dog yeah
1: it's crazy that we've gotten to that point though too because like think about that like before we were I little, little never like that like now now it's like you're like and and so here's the here's the fucked up shit too like i got hulu yeah and i, I got specials, right well if you if you pay for the like you pay i'm not a little bit more no commercials, but I'm like, nah, I could deal with a couple, yeah. but it's so, it's you're so right, because I get so mad, and it's like a 30-second commercial. It's not it breaks even- breaks
2: up my concentration.
1: Exactly, because then I'm boom. I pick up my phone, and I'm doing this, and then the show's back on, and I'm like, fuck. I, like I,
2: have, I, yeah. I have very bad ADD, and that's, that's my fault. That's my fault, but that's why I've never been into video games, because I need something intense- deep or or whatever to grab my attention making art always was drawing painting making music even writing books like surf and skateboarding something that sucks me in i love movies because i get sucked in or if a series that i can binge watch you know skateboard videos but i don't watch sports because sports is cool and then sports live is cool but i mean on tv then there's a commercial and not only does it throw my concentration off but i'm insulted by the uh the fucking the advertising, dude, like I'm, I consider myself, this is my <laughs> moment. Let me be cocky for one second. You've got to be cocky. Go ahead, I man. i myself an intelligent dude. And I know a thing or two about sales and I, I studied psychology. So when I see advertising, I kind of see through it and I yeah. get angry that I see how they can take advantage of people and I'm like, this is, I just get back to the show. And now I forgot what's happening and I went to my phone, like you said, or I went to get a snack. And, and like, yeah. I don't pay for Hulu, I use my boys account, so obviously I'm dealing with commercials. I'm just trying to watch a 22-minute Bob's Burgers episode. I got to watch four commercials for fucking Amazon Prime or or some gambling scratch ticket commercial. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or some advertisement for a cable, like a network TV show. I don't watch that. I don't watch ABC. Yeah,
1: bro. yeah. Where am I going to watch that? I'm watching Hulu. What the fuck I makes you think ABC. I got ABC?
2: Fuck ABC family, bro. <laughs> I don't know. I just... I. Uh, that's me being like the the grumpy old man about it, but I don't really think I'm that grumpy old. That's just me like, now we have the ability to avoid that shit. I hadn't had cable for for so long, right? And I was just doing the streaming thing and I was just busy doing shit. And it took so long for me to see a lot of my friends come around cutting cable. They would have all the streaming services and they've got like a $189 cable bill, a 200. And all my my friends with, with sports addictions, which is fine, I'm not judging it, that's my entire family and that was me growing up, so I get it. Cable bill, I moved back from Brooklyn to, to Boston for like a year and a half, two years before I moved to LA. Me and my boy moved in together, a good friend of mine, growing up together. He's a musician, artist, he was in the greater good with me, my man prone too. I'm gonna throw his name out there. We lived in a monstrously dope crib in Roxbury, we're chilling. But he he's like, we gotta have cable. I was like, oh damn, dude. He's like, cause he's very much into sports. So yes. much so that you need like, especially for football, you need like yeah, package. Next level yeah. platinum package, dude. The fucking lose your arm in a diamond mine platinum ring package. Yeah. So now we got it. I'm like, all right, cool, because it loops in the internet bill. I'll throw down. What is it? It's like 258 a month. I'm like, Jesus Christ, that's an insane amount. I pay yeah. like $20 a month and I stream two things and I use someone else's account. So now I'm paying for a cable bill and I'm not even really using it. I got to force myself to find things on TV to watch to justify it. So I find yeah. a couple things on Adult Swim or South Park where I'm like, God damn, this ain't worth it. And uh, it was just crazy that people were still rocking cable. And when I go to someone's house and my mother wears rocks, she don't even rock. She rocks like a very lame cable and just watches Netflix, but she's older, she's yeah. 70, so, you know.
1: I don't know. Nah. Then, same sorry, shit, man. Ranted, same man. shit, man. Nah, the same
2: shit, bro. I ranted a lot. You uh you you said something earlier, and we was kind of touching on this before before the podcast. I've had producers on damaged goods before. I've definitely had MCs on. I have artists from all walks on. Uh I think a lot of times people think of, and maybe it's the reason because it's presented this way, like producers and, and beat makers and hip hop. You know, they're obviously not on the mic. Oh, some of them are, right? There's some rapping producers. And and maybe if they're DJs, they're out there too, but they're a little more recluse, right? You know, I mean, they're still putting out the most ridiculous ill content. They're making the dopest music, either alone or with your favorite MCs. But they're a little more recluse because they don't have to be on the mic. And even on social media, they tend to be what you think a producer would be, posting cool shit, making beats, but they're kind of a little more, I don't know what the word is. Like, you just don't hear them a lot. You see shit. You hear the music. So yeah, you yeah, about it. And, and that's
1: all they're posting.
2: Yeah, and that's fine, dude. Like, like Madlib is one of my favorite producers. You don't hear a bunch of shit like that's great, dude. That's fine. Like, I'm not yeah. asking for everyone to be. I don't want everyone to be like a Kanye West, you know? No,
1: because that's the thing. Some of your favorite artists, you might not look at Pete Rock, bro.
2: I, well, I don't, what I don't know but I love Pete Rocks. tell me I don't know about
1: that oh man I don't, I don't, no, his, his twitter his yo Ready? his twitter Peter, break my heart i don't know if
2: it's it hacked or are what are you gonna break my my mind right now
1: i muted him break my heart do you see this i love pete rock i have i have I pete, have pete rock, rock muted on twitter because he's just like just going he said some like they just they say the stupidest shit. Like I don't know if it's it's really him or if somebody hacks his account. Like he got a strong right password. Some, but yeah, he mean, like he, Twitter he that talks target crazy target. shit. Yeah, so oh, no. I'm very vocal on 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 Twitter. Like that's what I use Twitter most of the time to like vent. You know what I, I mean?
2: Yeah. Well, that's what I was. My point was when I was getting this. The reason I like. I mean, I know you're a, a, a savvy producer doing your thing and you were on this radio show and I, I liked it. I was like, yo, this dude's cool. He actually was like able to talk because I was hitting you guys with questions that like I don't ever tell even Beans. Like I just kind of look up shit on my own and I'm just yeah. ready. That's my stees. But you, you were very cool. And like you, you talked, you spoke, you were very eloquent. You spoke well, you know, for like the way I was coming at you. And I was like, I like this kid and I followed you. And I was like, oh, for a producer, this dude's like, it's not boring. I don't follow a, any musicians really. Like I love my favorite musicians. I love, I don't really follow them. All I like to follow is surf videos, skate videos and joke ass memes and a couple butts. A few booties. Yeah, I mean, yo, you I, kill I, it with the memes, man, <laughs> I gotta tell you. Use my dark humor to sell books and podcasts, but, but my, <laughs> you know, I, and I thank you brother. I think I do, I think I do, kudos. Uh, you got a good sense of humor. But my point was, I saw you, I was like, I like, I like the way this kid carries himself on here. I want to get them on the podcast not because of like your your accolades because you know there's producers just like you with the same accolades there's some with even maybe more some with less but yeah, yeah. it'd be a good conversation I've I, ha- I learned my lesson I've had guests on who should be incredible like their their work is crazy their experience their life but if I have to carry the whole conversation and they're just it's not as interesting it's like I like this kid's yeah, no, need- nah, you
1: gotta have back and forth, man. I think, plus, like, it doesn't hurt that we're both from, you know what I mean, Boston, yeah, a couple yeah. fucking assholes, you know what I mean?
2: That's <laughs> true. It's, we're good at talking too much.
1: Well, it's funny too, because I was, um, so I went to AI.
2: Oh, I have so many kids. I knew friends of mine going there when it was MassCon before AI.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I remember my favorite teacher, you could probably guess, you to, gotta take a guess.
2: I I didn't go to school there. I don't know.
1: Yeah, no, you know him. You know him.
2: But Bob Moses, who?
1: Pete Peliquin.
2: Oh shit! Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Dude, yeah he used crazy. to always
1: because he used to he 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 recorded you and stuff.
2: Yeah, you man, that's crazy.
1: Engineering oh, for you. Yeah, yeah, man. I, I always remember he, Pete talking talk, talking about you and shit. Yeah,
2: Pete said he said good things. I I was a wild kid. I don't know. No, nah, it
1: was just it, it was like in like he would always just bring up like recording sessions and stuff like oh, that, cool. you know, and or like he was you know oh I got a session with with Jake later or you know what I mean yeah. so.
2: No, he was. So, yeah, it
1: was just funny. Like I remember years back you know what i mean hearing the name and then getting to finally link up with you and yeah. me in cali and then you know what i mean so it's, it's crazy
2: man yeah that was a crazy that was a time when 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 vinyl villain came on uh rain and real on dash radio with beans and i she was like i didn't know who the guests were gonna be that you know we didn't always have guests every week she said oh yeah a gang of the these these kids these producer kids like john glass is like her name sounds familiar i know i know that kid and 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 then uh What's the Brady from from Surefire? Yep, yep. I knew Brady. I was like, oh shit, I know that dude. And then then, then Vinylville, I was like, I just know that name, but I didn't know you were from Boston. I didn't know you personally. If I actually did know you in the past, I apologize because a no
1: no a, no, we never. I think that was the first time we ever really met. I did
2: a yeah. lot of drugs that have bad memory, So, but <laughs> he told me it was like five of you motherfuckers came, and there was another dude whose name escapes me, who was like a, a musician, like I a, a played the bass. Thomas, guitar. yeah. Thomas, yeah. And uh, it was ill because it was like four dudes from Massachusetts and I knew John and then I knew you, but not knowing you and I knew the accolades. And then when I looked up all the shit, all four of you done, I was like, yo, these kids are uh, doing a lot with a lot of these current artists. And because I was coming from this older era and, and Beans is like, you know, my age, but she's very, she's very good at keeping me in tune with a lot of new shit. There was new shit I liked and I would get into, it. I'm very hard, people push me, the more people push music on me, the more I'm like, "Mm, I like to find it on my own. I'm the same way. Doing the show though with her, just from what the playlists were, what she would play and guests would have on, I'd have to get hit. Either I'd look up dudes and learn about them or I'd hear these songs and like, oh, I like that song, who was that? And she would tell me, I was like, oh, I've heard that name a million times. I've never listened to this dude shit just because I'm a grumpy, I'm not even grumpy, I'm just a lazy ass dude. Uh, uh, But I've heard the name a million times, I like that song. Now I'm going to check it out. Oh, shit, I like the shit, you know? Like, I knew Ito already, and I knew the new Crack Era project because Dean's was down with it, had no idea that was you, and I was like, oh, shit, okay, you know? And I like, uh, I I have a lot of Jersey homies who are crime Apple friends, and and so I knew about that shit before I knew who you were, so. Yeah, man, I let the work speak for itself, you know? got to do, man. They always just say, actually, yo, it was a funny Speaking of 7L, what up, George? What up, 7L? I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you a funny, funny 7L joke. So my man Papa D. Shout outs, Papa D. Do you know who Papa D is? Are you too young? You yeah, know who Papa Brick, D is?
1: Brick Records, yeah. right?
2: Okay, shit. So yeah, Brick Records is a legendary uh indie rap label from Boston. Yeah. They were very instrumental. In the late 90s, there was like a little boom of indie hip hop coming out of like, you know, New York and maybe LA and overseas and Boston. And Brick Records put out some very influential vinyl. And later- I got uh, them all. Yeah, kind of absorbed with Land Speed Distribution, which became at the time, the biggest indie hip hop distribution and what happened. And Papa D was one of the founders of it. Uh, like a fucking, I, I interned for that motherfucker, for all them back in the day. I love those dudes and I love Papa D. He did legal work for me, he's a great dude. And so 7L and Esoteric were uh, a hip hop duo and an MC and DJ producer duo. That made a lot of dope indie hip hop shit, right? And so uh, this is uh, don't worry, it's a long build up for a funny joke. Just hang <laughs> on my butt. so Seven L is the DJ, SO, Shay is the MC. So one time, me and Papa D and I'm young, I'm like 17, 18. Papa D's talking to me about some shit, and George Seven L came in. This is before I kind of really knew them a little. I I had just maybe met them. I was like a fan, young little kid, and I, he said, you know, I said something to Papa D about 7-L. I was like, oh yeah, he just seemed like real chill or whatever and Papa D turns to me, he's like, yeah, he speaks with his hands. Cause that's what they used to say about DJs and producers like, cause Shane, or Esso was talking to me, you know? He's the MC. Yeah, yeah. I was like, yeah, yeah, dude, the 7-L just seemed like, you know, kind of chill and I was like, yeah, he speaks with his hands. I always thought that was funny. Cause I know George now, but yeah, DJs and producers back then, you guys weren't supposed to talk. You were supposed to just-
1: Just sit in the back. Make originally,
2: feet. originally the DJ was, like, you know, the main, the main dude, you know?
1: And, yeah. Yeah. Now no producers, DJ. Yeah. You know what's, it's weird. Like. And I think that's like, that, I think that, I think that's a downside, a big you. downside. That's where I was
2: going to go, bro. Thank
1: you. So. Yeah. No, I'm, I, I started DJing. That's how I, I, then not, I transitioned. No, I like
2: you production. even more now. You just got a little higher on the totem pole and the snake. <laughs> I you know I was literally about to go there and, I know producers that have DJ roots, obviously you and I know like the established ones, but even in Boston I have, I have you know, like my man Evil Earn, who's from JP, grew up with his kid. And uh, he produced a lot of my shit, sick produ- produced like my man Expo, tons of dudes in the grade good, a lot of shit, but he uh, was a DJ. And so he ha- understood, I think DJs have an understanding of music that isn't just about creating or making beats and or creating playing music but it's understanding timing and and vibes and and blending and and, and segues and transitions and fans and crowds and i always loved like like if we're gonna go back to pete rock pete's uh, sick dj
1: yeah
2: i'm saying he's a sick ass dj like you know jazzy jeff is a sick ass dj Uh, like madlib if you ever get to see madlib i mean premiere alchemist alchemist is a sick dj live you know what i'm saying Like Breakbeat Lou is one of my favorite live DJs. He's not a really a producer, but like I like seeing a producer who can DJ and do shit live. And I think it really does enhance the production and, and especially when you're making a cohesive album like you and Ito or a, a producer a DJ Project. A producer yep. MC project, rather my fault.
1: And that don't ha- it doesn't happen anymore. I mean, I don't know. I can't speak on other producers, but I, I, I get this this feeling that a lot of producers out nowadays don't, you know, don't know how to DJ, never cared to learn, never really even owned a fucking pair of turntables, you know what I mean? Like, and I I do, I think that having, if you're a DJ or you come from that background, your ear is different right off rip than somebody that's just like, Oh, I want to make beats. I want to be a producer. I'm gonna, you know, get fucking Ableton, or I'm gonna grab a 404 or whatever, and I'm just gonna loop some shit up. Like, okay, yeah. And unfortunately, nowadays there's, you could fucking throw a rock and hit a producer. Like, there's
2: there's so oh, many out you there. Throw a rock and hit a DJ in quotes. Now, what does that DJ mean? Is it a hip hop DJ, a show DJ, a turntableist, or is it a DJ who DJs it at, at a lounge and just kind of hit, hit play. The rock? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Bro, I could be a DJ tomorrow. Celebrities become DJs. You
1: know. Fucking Paris Hilton, man.
2: <laughs> she's actually probably better than some other DJs so.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> let's I mean, let's not go there. <laughs>
2: yeah. But it's it's interesting cuz a lot of kids that I knew that not necessarily became like reputable producers of DJs, some that did, but some that were just doing it for fun. And mind you, I'm I'm 38, but I had a lot of friends that were like 2 years older than me. Most of my friends strangely were two grades above me so we're talking about 40. Yeah. So uh, a lot of them had like not a lot of them but friends of mine in hip-hop that they, they got a turntable or if they were lucky get two get two texts get a mixer. had vinyl maybe you got it from your uncle your your pops if you had one and you're into hip-hop then the next step if they were really into it they got an MPC. This is, old, yeah. this is older technology this is older beat making technology and I wonder if the dated levels of technology allowed the the progression to go from I got turntables and mixer and and vinyl and I like to DJ to to an MPC that I have right there. I got the pads I can bang on them. To getting like you know Pro Tools and all that. Versus nowadays, like you said, and I have friends who who elevated from all that, from ASR tens and all that, to just using Ableton or just using whatever. And I'm not knocking it, dude. It's the best shit. But I mean, yeah. some kids start with that. They start fresh into Ableton, fresh into Logic, and I produce in Logic, whatever. But they didn't go through the phase of having an a s r ten or a motif even or a Triton or, or any NPCs yeah. or whatever, you know what I'm saying? And it sucks cause, like it, it's tough cause and, and I tell people this all the
1: time, like, <clears throat> you can't say shit like that nowadays. That, that? <laughs> no, I know. and that's where you and I are very alike. No, I'm allowed but, to
2: because I'm not a producer, but you 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 can't say it producer, but even
1: like, by saying something like that, people take effect, you know, all, oh, you know, people just get so offensive. like yeah, you're hating on the- are pussies nowadays. you like you can't say anything, but it's it really is like, like you said, like yeah, you might you might be fresh out, fucking grab ableton and and you're good. You know what yeah. I mean? Like you have an ear. but I just I think personally, having that having to take those steps builds character.
2: something about that. it's uh. Is, I don't know. I mean, you could say it's like that learning process or running the gauntlet. That having it to go careful. through
1: some shit. You know what I mean? Like having to sit and listen to a sample, the whole record, yeah. and then hit the, hit the fucking record button stop, at the right time. You know what I mean? Like versus now, you could just drag the whole fucking sh- song in there and yeah. chop it up however you want, well, you know?
2: Lack of... And this sounds like the most bitter old man hip hop shit, which is the tired argument anyway. So listeners, I'm not making this argument, but I am kind of um, touching back on what Mr. Villain just said, Senor villain. uh, It's a level of paying dues of sorts. And and so I, I mean, when I was an artist, right, an MC, and I produced some beats, I played guitar and sang on shit, I had a rock band. But as an MC, I started, you know, I went through channels, man. Right, like I started just like you know, dudes freestyling in high school in in, in their cars their house parties in Boston. Then I started yeah. going to open mics at the Villa Victoria in the South End in the you know, and which it wasn't a cool place to go back then for me at that time. Or I was going to Shavu skating rink in Mattapan to open mics. I was going to ciphers everywhere I could. I was getting fucked, you know, guns pulled on me, not nah, fighting over rapping. And this is before yeah. I was recording or trying to even have a career. And yeah. then I entered MC battles, not cause I like battling. I wanted to be a storyteller, but I wanted to get attention. And this is when MC battles were uh, like round robin, 16 person, like Mars Madness, freestyle, literally off the top, not, not, not knocking the acapella, like organized plan battles. I think that's very cool. But back then it was like, you didn't know who you were going to battle, for the next the battle.
1: Yeah. and
2: it had to be on beat. You couldn't have these five minute verses of acapella you had to be on beat and it was in the moment. So you really had to get the, crowd to fuck with you and really roast this dude. So I did yeah. that to pay dues. And it was gnarly for me at the time, too. Like, you know, there wasn't a lot of white dudes rapping and the, white, the ones who were were tougher than me. So you had to be kind of gnarly. And then you had to go through that. And then you had to play shows. And then when you start to play shows, now now it's even crazier because the crowd might laugh at like a battle, but they don't know you from a hole in the wall. They're going to be a little tougher. You didn't have YouTube. You couldn't make videos. You couldn't even pay to play Like where kids can buy Tickets from a promoter to play. Like, I didn't come up that way. And thank God I never had to do it because I eventually got to the level where I could sell tickets, just my name on shit. But I had to open up at tough crowds where it was sketchy and not cool. And you had to do your best. And, you know, people are going to always love you. And it wasn't like you just film a safe video on YouTube and act cool and tough and rap. You had to learn how to, and you had to know your old school shit. If I didn't know my history, older dudes would pull your car. They would come. And now you don't have to know it. In fact, knowing it makes you corny. Or like, it's just, it's like, get out of here with that shit. And so I kind of missed the the Pay and dues thing because I do think it built character and it built a a greater presence of the artist, a greater personality. They showed a greater understanding for the, not just the genre of hip hop, but greater music that goes into it. They knew the samples that were going into these things. They knew the music- You
1: were were hip hop at that point. You were living and breathing it instead of, you know, putting on this facade yeah of you know Being yeah, a rapper just
2: to be a rapper for like it's the thing
1: yeah because it's the cool thing to do you know what i mean you were you actually went through some shit in order to get to your position versus yeah a lot of rappers nowadays are just like oh, i woke up this morning
2: yeah i'm gonna be but a rapper cool. you know? get you some chicks you know, like yeah. Oh, then, fucking
1: everybody's selling vinyl now. I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna sell a vinyl, and you know, right. then,
2: like it didn't get you chicks unless you were like on top. It would you probably get corny, like yo, know, you're just rapping at house parties in little weird places. I mean, you're just talking about how you DJ first. You had you went through that to to get to where you are for the production of i do. I started out. My mother would bring me to break dance classes. I wanted oh, to be shit. keyboard. I sucked, <laughs> I, have <no> <laughs> I have no business being a b-boy. And I learned that fast, I thought it looked cool, I did not possess the physical qualities. And then I really admire graffiti because I was a visual artist and I had friends who were graffiti artists. I would run out, I like the uh, the element of, of, I guess you could say criminality. I liked sneaking out at night, and, and taking some spray paint or marker, and catching tags, running down the train lines, even though I was not good. I was at 12, 13, but I liked it. I would rather watch my friends who were really good do their shit, but I would try because I enjoyed it. That was it's all the well, lifestyle. Before, well before I even kicked a rhyme in my life. I had, was doing that. You Know and not to say that everyone has to, I mean, this sounds like a KRS one lecture. Right? No, no, but I'm I get what
1: you're saying because it's it by you saying that it's like you you fell in love with the lifestyle before you even picked yeah. up a mic, you know what I mean? And that's the same same deal here, like and uh, versus you know, and I'm sure I'm sure kids nowadays and even some of the rappers that might be people's favorite rappers nowadays, you know similar situation but because they they didn't go through what you went through what i've gone through like i, I don't know i don't want to say i don't respect it but I, you know yeah you didn't get it out the mud
2: uh, it's not that yeah it's not that i might not respect them or you know whoever that person is but i would respect more somebody who has because i know what that entails and I know rich exactly. enriches your experience more in my experience as a, as a fan to consume your art. And it's like, I don't judge anybody less because I know some dope ass artists who didn't maybe take those channels and like, it's all relative, right? Like if, if I was my age complaining about that, you know, now there's the people that came before me, the dudes they had to pay was even crazier. You know what I'm saying? And it's, it's just like, it's like your grandfather saying like, yeah, I walked uphill to school both ways with no shoes yeah. on. <laughs> it's a relative, you know, and I'm sure these kids in, in 2020 are going to, you know, complain about that. So I'm not putting anyone down. I just appreciate it more when you've paid some dues. Um,
1: yeah.
2: I, I think that goes for a lot of shit. Like when I was, before I made music, I was a skater, right? I, from like age 10 to 20, I was like a sponsor and shop skater. I really, I wanted to become a pro skater. I realized I was good, but I wasn't going to be that good. You know, but I was in, and I was starting to get into music and and fucking around with music. There was a few years where skating, the music were there. And then I realized I really love music. I want to just keep making it. And I wanted to, if I was going to keep skateboarding, I wanted to skate at the same skill level, but that just meant such a physical commitment. I was breaking, but I was getting fucked up. So I kind of phased out, but I went through these phases of skateboarding that like you get grommet phases, like dude, getting chased around the streets, like going through all the shit to get to a place where now people respect you, even girls, like whatever, you know, getting now you get free boards and shoes. And mm-hmm. I, I love when I, I still see that in skateboarding. Actually my last episode, I had a sponsored skater on and you know, we are talking about that. And, um, I think I'm sure ha- that's been affected a little bit like music. I feel like a lot of things, the The, the growth period is different now because of technology and things like that, you know?
1: Definitely. Definitely. You got to adapt, you know what I mean? And I, and I respect that. I, I definitely understand that, you know, you have to adapt. Shit's changed. Now, you know, they got USB turntables, so you don't need two techniques and a mixer. Yeah, you know yeah, what I, I mean? Know. So I get it. You know what I mean? Um, it's just like we said, like, might have a little bit more respect for somebody that, you know what I mean, did it how I did it. Yeah, exactly. Because exactly. I know what, you know, the work that went into it.
2: Yeah, and, you know, there's something I enjoyed personally, like going back to interning with, with Brick and Lansby and Papa D. You know, those dudes were much older than me. And they assume all these young kids in the hip hop, whatever. But I knew not only my era shit, but a lot of kids, all my friends my age, we knew the old school, the 80s shit, because you almost kind of had to, or you want to. I went back and learned. I asked older people questions. I read things, I listened, I watched it. I was interested in like what went into the production of Stunts, Blunts and Hip Hop by Diamond D because I loved it. Yeah. I was interested in like all this, all of Rakim's career even though it existed when I was so young I could not appreciate it really, truly, you know? So yeah. I went back and learned my old shit and I learned all that history. So when I'm around these older dudes, now they're like, oh shit, this kid knows his shit. And that was something that brought me further along quicker because people recognized that I had a knowledge of of the culture, not just, I knew my B-boy shit, my graffiti shit, because I was friends with a lot of, still am, a lot of very well-known graffiti crews and legends. Um, But I I enjoyed, I wanted to do that, but it definitely got me more respect with them. And so when I see a kid who knows his shit, I'm like, oh, I'm always like so fucking impressed and surprised. And I really want to like embrace them and show them love for knowing
1: that you know yeah no I feel the same way man when I was you know in high school um me and my homie that I was talking about earlier like we used to you know what I mean get high and fucking we try to figure out the samples or the you know we'd be listening to 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 music and be like you know when there were scratch hooks you know what I mean and we would try to figure out what record they used to, you know, who, who, who was, who, who was that? Was that an LL Cool J cut? Like, what the fuck? What record was that from? So like, that's what I'm talking about. And this was before who sampled and before all that shit, you know what I mean? So, so yeah, we were, you know, what do you knowledge, so to speak?
2: What do you think about that? Cause you just kind of touched on something so quickly that I don't know if everybody might be aware of this. There was a time in hip hop where, it was very uncool to reveal the samples of a lot of shit. Now, honestly, there's the obvious ones that, you know, that weren't like everybody will know. A first listen, you're going to know whether it was some James Brown shit that BDP used or some loop that Puffy took. But there was a lot of shit that was chopped, like anything Premiere was doing or certain people, Marley Marl, they were chopping shit so much. And there was a very strong ethos against revealing this and then i remember early 2000s i'm talking like 2000 2001 two three i kept finding mixtapes and i enjoyed these mixtapes i purchased them from different djs that would play like the original sample transitioning into into the song right or oh, just yeah. Whole, yeah, yeah. whole tape of the samples and i liked it because i kind of some of them i already knew you know it wasn't a mystery some i was like oh that's cool i didn't know that and there was like I even think, and I love Premiere. He's like probably one of, if not the greatest, one of the greatest producers ever. I forget if it was on Moment of Truth or some album where one of the skits, DJ Premiere is kind of railing against y'all are playing yeah, yeah. on blast. Yeah. And there was a problem with that. And then it's to a point now where you can't hide that shit. So I think it's been embraced. Like we can't hide, we, Shazam and like things like that sometimes will reveal the samples. You can, there's an app I used to want to make that someone already made that's, you play a hip hop song, it'll find the sample for you. Or things like that. It's not much yeah. of a mystery anymore. But do you as a producer, is that still a thing? And if it is or if it's not, what do you think about that?
1: Is it is what still a thing? Like, people people not, wanting no, to it's, find it's, out.
2: Yeah, like producers being like, don't put that out
1: to DJs. Oh, yeah, me. yeah, big you know, time. Big time. Yeah. It, well, like, the thing is, yeah, I don't know it, I don't know if it's so much don't put that out because yeah. Like I said, like, me and my homie, we would do, we would dig and try to find the artist. There was no who sampled. There was no Shazam. That shit did not exist when I was in high school. So, nowadays, you've got people just on Twitter or on Instagram will just leave a comment and be like, yo, what's that sample? Yeah, absolutely. so it's definitely like still like that's, that's an, that's an epidemic in itself.
2: Are producers revealing it when someone asks them what's the sample?
0: Nah,
1: no, hell no.
2: Yeah, of course not. That's
1: like, that's what I'm saying. It's like this whole thing where like somebody will, you know, Stu bangers will post a a video on on Twitter of him, you know what I mean, banging on this shit. And somebody would be like, oh, what's that sample? And then you get a gang of producers that chime in and they're like, get the fuck out of here. You can't be asking that shit. Who like who are you? Where do you come from? What are you? Doing? You know, and Stu, shout out Stu. He's he's got a great sense of humor. He'll be like, oh, that's the diarrhea song from turd Ferguson. Or something like that. Like says some crazy out there shit. I used to tell people like, oh, it's um what's the fucking, the Shrek song from Smash Mouth, or what, you know what I mean? Like, Not me, dude. <laughs> I'd be throwing, like, throwing people off, and they're like, oh, wow, really? It's that? Like, yeah, man, I just chopped the shit out of it.
2: Yeah. hey, And a shout out to Stu, Stu Bangers, man, like, uh, I don't know if you know, Stu and I did a lot of production together, like, uh, I I don't know, Stu, if you ever hear this podcast, I mean, we haven't spoken years, man, but shout out to you, man. I I like seeing all the shit you're doing, man. I'm, I'm proud of you, man. He keeps banging. Uh Stu came to Boston and me and him linked up. And like a few of my albums and mixtapes, Stu did mad records on. Like we had my big my at the time, my biggest record was this record. We did two. We and Stu did one with Devin the Dude and then one with Razcals on the album mine. And they both were like number one college rap radio singles in the country. And it kind of like got me up there to a point where I was like, you know, doing better, whatever. And yeah. I did a lot of records with Stu and I, I loved working with Stu because a cool ass dude and a great producer. But mm. in, in regards to the sample thing, Stu was so ill with the samples he would hunt for. Like, I don't know where he was going, but he, was, he wasn't he was just going to like the, the average record source. In, in fact, he was usually looking online in foreign countries for certain records he knew about, and hunting them down, or he wouldn't tell people, like there was only like one at the time, one person I think he would even go digging with, he didn't wanna reveal, and he would take trips to dig, not just like in Boston, he would go out of the city, out of the state. And a lot of producers, uh, when you get to a certain level, depending on the sound you're trying to make, you really will put a lot of work into finding those samples. And there's so much work that goes into it, you can't give it away, because you don't wanna give away your secrets. And people would hear Stu shit back then, and sometimes people were like, oh, it sounds like, like this Alchemist sampler. Maybe it's from this thing, but it wasn't. And they didn't know where he was getting it. And I remember people would ask me and Stu, you know, respectively, because they love the records and they think they could tell, like, oh, that sounds like some 80s uh, American rock. Sing. No, dude, like, I'm not going to tell where Stu was getting it, but he wasn't getting it from anywhere you motherfuckers thought it was. This is from some super secret places. And he did a great job with it. I love me and Stu made a lot of music together for there a few years where most of my sound was like hit that style you know i kind yeah, of yeah. transitioned out of, not transition out of but i started like making different kind of music stylistically i think we went different directions but i fuck with Stu. i got a lot of love for that dude and uh i really respected the way he treated the the, the, the samples thing. yeah man i yeah, mean it's around his music yeah
1: yeah it's it it is it's that's a culture in itself mm-hmm. you know what i mean like Digging for samples, and you know what I mean. Like, and like I said, like mine stemmed from just wanting to. I wanted to find out what you know my favorite producers were sampling. So yeah. that's where you know what I mean. Me digging for records and becoming Vinyl Villain really stemmed from.
2: What are you, or rather, who are some of your favorite producers? Which is like Alchemist. the least question to ever asked, but I am curious.
1: Yeah, I'm yeah, no, nah, I mean.
2: Not for the show, personal level.
1: Mad Lib Alchemist, um Rizza, Premier, uh you know DITC. I liked DITC as a collective, you know what I mean? mean. Not Buckwild, not you know Diamond what I
2: mean. I Diamond D, Fanas. I'm bigger. I mean, you name it, dude. Show yeah, up. the
1: whole, you know what I mean? Um, yeah, uh, look Alchemist is 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 top top tier for me though. Yeah, Alchemist like um, I definitely I'm looking to. To get the, the invite to Al's crib. You know what I mean? Like I see so many of my peers out there, you know what I mean? So I'm like, all right,
2: you know, someday. He's a he's an ill artist to appreciate for me because he's a guy who never deviated from his style of sound and came in the game like doing it his way, had a few like bigger like songs, but mm. the songs weren't big because he changed his his sound, or not even that he gave a beat to a bigger artist. They were big songs for the same artists he worked with. Like you talking about, uh, we gonna make it with like Jada and Styles, right? Yeah. Like they were like, he didn't do a a pop song. It just happened to be a big song for them. And the hold you down with prodigy and Nina sky. Or then he became like Eminem's DJ, right? Yeah. Uh, Yeah. And he didn't produce a single, and maybe he did, I don't know, uh, a single Eminem record.
1: I think he did his first one on this last project. Uh, people all the
2: way funky. I haven't listened to Eminem record in a long time. Not, yeah, not you know. that I hate on M's legend. I'm just, you know, I'm very selective with my shit. But anyway, Al never really deviated. And he was able to like, you know, I'm sure he could have probably gone for bigger mansions and yachts and, and gone like the, the bigger producer way. But some people are like, they don't need, they don't get greedy. They don't need too much. They can get enough and just be comfortable because they like doing what they're doing. And he It seems like he likes what he's doing, he doesn't need to get so grandiose, you know. He doesn't, th- and and Mad- Madlib as well. And I was really psyched that you threw him off on your list first, cause it's like Madlib for me, going back to Quasimodo and going back to um, pack when they first came out. I was digging that shit in the '90s, and and then there was some time in like the 2000s where like, yeah, I fuck with Madlib, but not here and there. Oh, Mad Villain album was like ridiculous for me, and then. I always liked him, and then I think it kind of happened around the time that, like, that the, the pinata album with Freddie happened, where Madlib became kind of like my favorite now. And a lot of the shit he did with, like, he just has such an unorthodox approach. He doesn't it's catalog. Talk to is crazy. And you can't. Not everyone can rap over a Madlib beat. It takes a real ill MC, like Doom or or Gibbs, or someone with a flow that can adapt.
1: Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah. Nah. Madlib's catalog is crazy. Like, I you know. I aspire to to you know have have something like a fraction of what he's you know what I mean between the jazz records that he's put out the stuff with Quas um, yeah, yeah, collaborative yeah. albums That's it, It's crazy
2: it's crazy his his shit is crazy um, somebody
1: I saw on Twitter recently posted like um you know finding out that Madlib has a house like a, a house music alias
2: yeah, which I want to listen to more like more like prior, dude I fuck with house music I like shit like that.
1: It's crazy, you know what I mean? And and to me, that signifies like a, a top-tier producer as well. Somebody that's not, you know, genre specific, that he, you know, he just makes music just to make music. I mean, I've seen the Stones Throw, you know, documentary.
2: Oh, my, not to cut you off, my uh-huh. one, he's from Boston too. One of my best friends who lives in LA, his wife, who's a native Los Angeles person, her mother owns that Stone's throw house that when that whole documentary is filmed in, and now Peanut Butter Wolf doesn't live there, my boy and his wife now live in the Stone's Throw house from that documentary.
1: That's crazy.
2: <laughs> I know. I wish I was like, yo, did your mom have like Peanut Butter Wolf's number? Like we get a damn funk on the podcast. Like what up? But I hang out that's in the house. The documentary. Yeah. yeah, it's a sick crib, bro. It's a sick crib.
1: Yeah, man. I can, I, I can imagine, bro. Just even like just the history, you know what I mean? Like that's
2: nuts. Next time you're in L.A., you and me are gonna go over to my boy's house and be like, hey, yo, bro, this is my boy, Mr. Villain. We're just gonna come hang out in the basement and like we're just gonna make some music together. I don't, you know, whatever. We'll that fucking- would be that would be some bucket list shit for me, bro. Yeah. Just to let you know, my boy's wife has kind of like redecorated. It doesn't look like what Peter Butterwolf had set up. <laughs> <laughs> it's a sick crib, man.
1: For God, that's that's sick, man. That's dope. I didn't know that. That's like across
2: awesome. the street from it when they did live there, when Peter Butterwolf did live there. And I'd been across the street man times and they were like, Yeah, that's the stone's throw crib. I was like, oh shit, like wanting to look in, like, that looks crazy. And now to be in it, it's a sick ass house, dude. Like,
1: yeah, man. That's nah, that's that's dope. And that's what I'm saying. Like, that's what I was saying. Like, I've seen that documentary so many times. And like Peanut Butter Wolf's another one. Like, I don't know if like I know he's a producer, like was, you know what I mean? Like the shit that he did with charisma early on and you know, he had his own thing going on, yeah. too, but, like, he was, that man's genius, bro. Oh, you know dude, he's I mean? a visionary,
2: like, he's a businessman, he's a producer, a DJ, and he's still a DJ, like a fucking DJ, too, you know? Yeah, like he a real music. And, Stone Stroke gives back a lot to, uh, at least in LA, like, there's a lot of events that they've been involved with since I've been here, like, going to see everybody perform and DJ the park mayor Hawthorne who was originally a DJ and almost an MC like getting to see him and damn funk and peanut butter wolf spin and mad Lib hop on, or he owns that bar, you know, uh, uh, peanut butter wolf owns a bar that has all this vinyl in there. So whoever's DJing in the bar, they're only, I've heard, they're only allowed to use the the vinyl that's at the place, you know? That's that's Yeah. I don't know if that's true or not, but it's cool. Like I like that shit and I've gone to a lot of events of theirs um, and it's it's fun because it's, I, and it, that's in LA that bar. Yeah, yeah it's in uh, Highland Park, like a, a neighborhood uh, more on the east side. But and it's a cool spot, you know. And they do they do a lot of like events where it's it's a DJ kind of event, so it's not necessarily hip hop. But Madlib will get there and spin some house, you know. Mayor Hawthorne will spin some soul. Peanut Butter Wolf, Dame Funk will do that funky shit. Uh, this yeah, yeah. night Jewel, who I really like, a singer on their shit. She'll DJ, so I dig that shit, you know. Yeah, but, man. Nah, next
1: time I'm out I can't wait until this fucking Corona bullshit is over, man I, I got the, the bug bad I am i can't wait to get back out
2: there Hey man, I know it's like uh, California like had a little dip in shit And it was chill And then it's undipped It's not very chill right now Everything's kind of shut down So it, it wouldn't be fun for anybody To come visit The
1: same shit over here, man it, You know what I mean? I, that's why I, t- I was talking to somebody Earlier today about like It's weird how like the summertime It just kind of like Dip down, and now like that, like winter is here. It's like cases are back on the rise. I don't yeah. know. But
2: not even to like get into that shit or anything, but like, yeah, yeah,
1: definitely not.
2: It's <laughs> what, it's what all, if you ever study or read about viruses, which I I took a lot of time to do, it's actually doing what they all do. This is like a trend, you know, and like they do become more transmittable the longer they're around. But as they become more transmittable the longer they're around, they actually become less deadly, Uh and so like more people will get it. But percentage-wise, actually, less will be dying. Like more, actually, percentage-wise, less, way less people are dying than in September than in you know June, whatever. But that's not to get into it. But that does yeah. make for a lot of panic and confusion and problems where you can't travel. Shit can shut down. Live music doesn't exist. Nah, um,
1: man, I don't even.
2: Yeah, I, I'm, let's not get into that. <laughs> rough. You know, we're going back to another thing we said. I'm I'm really doing a lot of uh, time traveling here, tying shit back. Is a uh, because now there's like YouTube and social media and and everyone can kind of put themselves out there. There is a lot of producers who hop on the mic, rap, sing, attempt to sing. Vinyl villain on the mic, like why? And and I mean, this is a a good question. why, Why haven't you decided to get on the mic or is it just nothing you have any desire for?
1: I just don't have, yeah, I, I don't really have any desire
2: for nothing it. Nothing wrong with that at all. That's actually an um, thing.
1: It's funny, though, because, like, same deal. Like, I, you know what I mean? Like, I used to, like, in high school, you know what I mean? When I was, like, starting to make beats and shit, um, you know, used to go over, you know, my homie's crib and, you know, chill in the basement. We'd drink and smoke and well, we throw on him. beats. And, you know, I'd freestyle with him. He rapped. You know what I mean? He was a rapper. And I would just go back and forth, you know what I mean? We'd freestyle all night. Just, you know, I can only sit there and play different beats for so long before I get bored. And I'm like, you know, I like had a couple 40s, you know what I mean? Like, so you know, once once I get like a 40 or two in me, then then I might start rapping. But it's gotta be a 40 ounce. It's not like I can't have like a six pack. It's gotta be a
2: forty. Would you you would you have a forty ounce today? Oh, hell yeah. Really? Oh hell shit. Yeah. You crazy motherfucker! I I reached a, an age many ages ago where like I stopped drinking forties. Um, when I was young, it was for the probably similar. I mean,
1: way. I mean, I haven't I haven't drank in in a in a while. I'm not really a big drinker, okay. but I would definitely like on some. You on didn't some have a crowd talk
2: on Thursday. Okay. That
1: would that would bring that would bring me to like the that would instantly transport me to the nineties, dude. I. Yeah, like but if I had like a beanie, some Tim's, and like my North Face on with a forty.
2: You have a North Face shirt on and a beanie right now. You're literally one garment, the Tim's, one garment away from fulfilling this dream. Yeah,
1: get me a forty ounce, and I'm in. The, I'm I'm transported to the nineties.
2: I haven't had a forty for. I don't even know how, forever, dude. Like feels like <laughs> And that's yeah, nah, I mean,
1: We was <laughs> we were drinking the, the 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 private stock, um, and then like. It's weird. Then after high school, I graduated, which is crazy because it was almost like going in reverse. I went to the Steel 22. Oh, gee, you
2: like went backwards, bro. Jesus. <laughs>
1: yeah. Oh. Well, because then I saw uh, like in the liquor store and I'm like, oh, shit, this is like eight, 10% alcohol. Like, let's fuck with this. What do we got
2: here? You know? I used to drink the King Cobra 40s because it. Mm. The, there was a liquor store that had friends buy them for and it was a $1.99. It was like 50 cents cheaper than... Everything else, and it tasted shitty. But I was also Jake the Snake, so I'm gonna get the King Cobra like a fucking idiot. Proud of <laughs> taste. But the main reason we drank 40s when we were younger was like, well, you know, especially when we were underage, somebody would go buy them. But it, it was economic. Like it was like two fifty or three dollars or whatever, or sometimes two dollars for a forty, which is about 40 is Like I don't know, man. It's like, it's like two and, and a half, three yeah, beers. Two and a half beers. But it's yeah. not beer though. It's more liquor. So the malt liquor process actually makes it more intense than three and a half beers. So it's like, fucks you up. But it's like, think about you drinking a a, a two hour, a 20 ounce or whatever, no, a two liter bottle of soda. Right. It's disgusting in the, the the lower third. So the lower third of the 40 was just fucking disgusting. But when you're young, you drink two forties, it's like five bucks. It'll get you faded and you're smoking blunts. But when I came to the point when I was in my twenties at some point, I was like, look, if all I can afford to drink is 40s, then I shouldn't even be drinking. Not that I was going and getting like, fucking crew and, and, and Dom Perignon and shit, but like, let me at least get like an E and J or some terrible cheap, like you know, <laughs> elevate slightly, you know? But yeah, yeah. I had, to, I had to elevate, I had to elevate. Yeah,
1: nah, I was, I'm always, I'm always thinking economically.
2: <laughs> it's interesting that, you know, like, there's a lot of people I know who uh, I've seen rather, producers and stuff and there's an ambition to want to get on the mic for some some not so much some just want to make music and and maybe even executive produce as well as make the the beats uh but there's some you know that there's because you see some producers who got in the mic and it works out and so I just
1: trust me I mean it the thought has definitely crossed my mind because like you know being a producer the the number one worst thing is waiting for you know verses waiting for that notification you know I mean waiting to hear back so yeah, like if I could rap, if I could rap, I'd be like Al Divino. I'd have 20 fucking albums out right now. You know what I mean? Cause I would just I'd make beats and I would just rap on my own shit. Fuck it. But
2: I mean, yeah, I I I, I don't let's
1: do it. I don't know. I if if I were to do it, I'd have to be on some mad lib shit where I'd come out with an alien. Yeah, I, I almost, would adjust my voice and you dude, know that and,
2: was the most genius No. and eat and I I think like the 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 historical, like, um, this is the most redundant shit. I, just, I was about to say the most historical story. There's a story about the, the, the Mad Lib Quasimodo evolution was that, like, he took mad mushrooms and recorded that shit and, like, sped the voice up. And that's yeah. uh, a fucking great story, you know? It's like what every Pink Floyd story you hope is, even though that's not the truth. But, like, and it's, it's incredible. You, you speed your voice up, you make this weird voice that don't sound like you, the beats of fire, it works, and you ate a gang of mushrooms and made that record
1: yeah i remember when i when i was in at ai um pete actually showed us how to do that shit. like how, how like and he didn't even like it wasn't like referring to quasimodo or madlib but he just showed us like i remember sh- him showing us in pro tools like how to you know slow something down and then speed it up and how it would affect the vocal and uh I remember like looking at the kid next to me because he was a Quaz fan too and I was like that's how he does it like and it was but it was just like light bulb went off I was like yo that's crazy. Yeah, we to go
2: get these mushrooms and make this fucking music dude <laughs> Fuck out.
0: All right y'all this episode of the damaged goods podcast was brought to you by Elite Botanicals. Elite Botanicals is originally the CBD division of Elite Cannabis. If you guys have heard me talk about them, you know this is my favorite CBD product out there. The only one that truly works. I swear by it, that's why I'm endorsing them, not for any other reason. And now they're back with their new line for your little pets, Whole Pet CBD. They are one of the first companies farming high CBD cannabis under industrial hemp rigs. They've been working with CBD since 2013 with one of the first licensees in Colorado. Also, they've been working with Colorado State University since 2016 on their canine research study with CBD, so they know what they're doing. Their focus is providing farm-to-table product that uses the best ingredients possible, ultra-refined, distilled, full-spectrum CBD oil at high potency for reasonable pricing. That's the problem. Most of these other guys are overpriced for their non-working stuff. This allows for effective dosing and a 30-day plus supply per unit. For the pets, they've got drops that go on their food or in their mouth. they got chicken and salmon-flavored ones. They've got soft gel capsules. they got a gravy powder, and you just sprinkle that over their food or put a couple of water in there, and it makes a nice little gravy mix chock full of CBD, glucosamine, and omegas for their joints. They've got nose and toes balm for cracked noses and paws, and they got some all-natural treats on the way. All this is available at wholepetcbd.com. Elite Cannabis, Elite Botanicals, and now Whole Pet CBD, all from Elite. Go check it out. And now for an additional discount, use the promo code Damaged Goods. That's D A M A G E D G O O D S. Damaged Goods to get
2: an additional percentage off.